Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Thursday, January 9th, 2020. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, with a summary of election news. Today, who will grace the debate stage on January 14th? Spoiler, not Bloomberg. A new presidential poll in New Hampshire. An Arizona Senate race favors the Democrat. Michigan might be up for grabs in 2020. Facebook says it's still okay to lie in political ads. And movement forward on the integrity of voting machines and elections. It is 299 days until the general election, and here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. Tomorrow, we'll find out which of the still many outstanding candidates for the Democratic nomination for president will meet the Democratic National Committee's cutoff for participation in next Tuesday, January 14th's debate. Right now, it looks like five, Biden, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Sanders, and Warren, will meet the twin requirements of raising money from at least 225,000 unique donors and at least 1,000 donors in 20 states. They've also got to cross one of two polling thresholds. They can score at least 5% support in four different polls, or at least 7% in two polls from four key states, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, or Nevada, of at least 7%. And the polls have to come from a list of DNC-approved sponsors, among other requirements. According to an NBC roundup from Wednesday, the only other candidate even close is Mike Bloomberg, who has achieved the necessary polling but has no interest in accepting donations. Bloomberg told Politico on Tuesday that if he wanted to, he could meet the donor threshold, but he thinks it's inappropriate to accept money given his resources. He told Politico, It's up to the Democratic Party. They have a rule that you cannot participate in the debates unless you have a few hundred thousand donors. I don't take any money from anybody else. I fund my campaign myself. I listen to people, but I don't let people buy me. By the way, the New York Times did an irony-free but fairly amusing campaign trip with Bloomberg discussing his style of hitting hard and fast on the trail. He's not really into retail campaigning or warm fuzzies, but he's also trying to put his time in where it counts. Fellow billionaire Tom Steyer has made it on the stage in two previous DNC debates, in part by spending on Facebook ads to solicit the necessary donations. However, as of yesterday, Steyer has only two of the four polls needed and hasn't reached the new donor threshold. Candidates with unique messages and eager followers, Andrew Yang and Cory Booker, have both met the donation threshold, but Booker hasn't scored any qualifying polls, and Yang has scored only one. This is going to make for an extremely white, generally old lineup. Biden, Sanders, and Warren are all in their 70s, and Klobuchar is 59. Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Sanders, and Warren represent extremely white states in Congress. Biden's home state of Delaware is significantly more racially and ethnically diverse than Indiana, Massachusetts, Minnesota, and especially Vermont. Buttigieg is 37, Yang 44, and Booker 50, by the way. It's not the candidate lineup the Democrats could possibly have wanted at this stage, especially with two billionaires spending their money, even if they're not on the next debate. New state-level polls are out today, and let's chat about them. Monmouth University released a new poll for New Hampshire in time to act as a qualifying poll for next week's debate. However, it offered no love to candidates trying to fill their scorecard who hadn't already. Monmouth put Buttigieg in the lead with 20%, Biden with 19%, Sanders at 18%, and Warren with 15%. However, the margin of error is plus or minus 4.9% among a pool of 404 people likely to vote in next month's New Hampshire Democratic primary. So, who knows? 
A more important takeaway is that Buttigieg jumped 10% since the last Monmouth poll in September. Sanders had a smaller increase while Biden and Warren dropped down. Those four top candidates, plus Yang and Booker, also have good favorability numbers, but Sanders and Buttigieg have 10% higher net favorability in the mid-40s compared to the next four who are in the mid-30 percentages. Now on to Arizona. In one of several key Senate races to watch, public policy polling put Democrat and former astronaut Mark Kelly ahead of Republican incumbent Martha McSally in the 2020 Arizona Senate race. The poll gave us 46% of support to Kelly and 42% to McSally, who was appointed by Arizona's governor in 2018 following the death of John McCain and McSally's loss in the 2018 Senate election to Democrat Kirsten Sinema. But let's not see anyone leap into the Grand Canyon of victory or despair yet. 12% of the 760 Arizona voters surveyed had not yet made up their mind, and the margin of error was a whopping 3.6%. So, more honestly, it's an extremely tight race. This election can be seen as part of a proxy fight and be significant for Democrats' get-out-the-vote efforts. If Kelly can rally Dem voters to the polls, that might also allow the ultimate presidential nominee to rack up just enough votes to put the state's electoral votes into the blue column. Arizona has kept shifting modestly blue despite its long history as a conservative state. Polls find Donald Trump with a slight net disapproval. In this public policy poll, voters disapproved of Trump 52 to 46 percent. Hillary Clinton lost to Trump in 2016 in Arizona by a hefty four points. However, 8.3% of voters in that election picked someone other than Clinton or Trump, leaving a lot of votes in play, and research finds an increasing proportion of Arizona voters are college-educated. Kelly is married to Gabby Giffords, a former member of the U.S. House who was shot in 2012 while meeting with constituents. She survived, though others did not, and she and her husband have been prominent gun control advocates ever since. Now moving northward to Michigan, in a poll conducted earlier this week among 600 likely Michigan voters, by the Glengariff Group, there's good news for Democrats as well. Voters said they would vote for a generic Democratic nominee over Trump 52% to 36%. Even with specific candidates mentioned, which can narrow results, several came out on top. Biden beat Trump 50-43 to among voters in this poll. Voters also picked all currently top polling nominees, but by smaller margins, as slim as 46 to 44 for Warren and 45 to 43 for Buttigieg. With a margin of error of plus or minus 4%, that also means things are on a knife's edge. But the poll also found that Democratic voters have as much intensity about their intent to vote in the general election as independent and Republican voters. With more registered Democrats in Michigan, that adds a little more certainty to the edge a Democratic candidate might have. With only a few states' electoral votes truly in play this time around, we'll continue to see this kind of close polling and tight parsing of results. The Election Ride Home is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon uses premium fabrics paired with smart design and simple shopping. It will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants and more that you will ever wear. Their silver underwear and shirts eliminate odors while you're wearing them by relying on pure silver's natural antimicrobial properties. Mack Weldon's clothes are made of premium fabrics, so they'll stand up to whatever you can throw at them, and they're also comfortable. Now, buying clothing via the internet can be a challenge for the right fit. However, Mack Weldon's size guide gives you all the measurements you need to make sure you're buying something that fits you. If it doesn't fit or for any other reason, returns are free always. And if you try out Mack Weldon by buying a pair of underwear and you don't like it, you don't even have to send it back to get your refund. There are no questions asked. Order $50 or more and the shipping is on them. 
For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code ELECTION. Once again, that's MacWeldon.com, promo code ELECTION, to get 20% off your first order of great new clothing. 2020, a new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, so uh, what's up with the impeachment? A shockingly quiet day today for news on that front. However, Nancy Pelosi had something pithy to say today about where things stand with the House transmitting the articles to the Senate. Let's give a listen. They don't want documents, the documentation. They don't want witnesses. They may want a dismissal, which is proof that they cannot, cannot uh, clear the president of the wrongdoing that he has put forth. So are you willing to hold on to the articles indefinitely? I'm holding them indefinitely. I'll send them over when I'm ready. And that will probably be soon. I just, you know, he said, if you don't send them over, I'm going to pass the Mexico-U.S.-Canada trade agreement. Okay. Uh, but, uh, no, we, we, we want to see what they're willing to do and the manner in which they will do it. We're just going to keep waiting until there's an actual update. Great news today for candidates who want to lie in digital ads and micro-target voter swaths with such messages. Facebook's Director of Product Management, Rob Leathern, said in a blog post today that, in contrast to Google, Twitter, and others' moves to limit the scope of political advertising or ban it altogether this year, Facebook will be allowing the use of its targeting tools and continuing its policy of not policing the content of such ads, nor pulling them down if they contain provable falsehoods. To quote the New York Times headline, Facebook says it won't back down from allowing lies in political ads. Leathern wrote in the post, Ultimately, we don't think decisions about political ads should be made by private companies, which is why we're arguing for regulation that would apply across the industry. The Honest Ads Act is a good example, legislation that we endorse and many parts of which we've already implemented, and we are engaging with policymakers in the European Union and elsewhere to press the case for regulation too. Frankly, we believe the sooner Facebook and other companies are subject to democratically accountable rules on this, the better. In the absence of regulation, Facebook and other companies are left to design their own policies, end quote. He notes, however, that ads still have to meet community standards which, quote, ban hate speech, harmful content, and content designed to intimidate voters or stop them from exercising their right to vote. We regularly disallow ads from politicians that break our rules, end quote. That's a fine sentiment, but you can search across Twitter to easily find examples that people have posted of ads that clearly violate those standards and which Facebook has declined to remove. 
However, Leatherin said that Facebook is enhancing its ad library, a way for anyone to see political ads and associated targeting with additional features and details. And it will add an option for its users to reduce the number of political and social ads they see. On Twitter, FEC Commissioner Ellen Weintraub is having none of it. She dismissed Facebook's move. A reminder that the FEC is currently unable to make decisions because of a failure to have a quorum, as Chris discussed earlier this week. Weintraub wrote over a few tweets, Facebook's weak plan suggests the company has no idea how seriously it is hurting democracy. No one is a bigger believer in transparency than I. But here, proposing transparency solutions is a window dressing when Facebook needs to be putting out the house fire it has lit. I am not willing to bet the 2020 elections on the proposition that Facebook has solved its problems with a solution whose chief feature appears to be that it doesn't seriously impact the company's profit margins. I am surprised that Facebook would put out such a weak proposal that it virtually invites Congress to re-examine Facebook's Section 230 exemptions. I strongly urge Facebook to go back to the drawing boards and come back with something much more robust, end quote. Section 230 is a part of the 1996 Communications Decency Act that allows a safe harbor for those operating a service like Google, Facebook, YouTube, or any website hosting firm in which they aren't treated as the publisher of the information. If there's a problem with what's posted, hosts have to follow a procedure, but ultimately the original poster faces liability and responsibility. This even protects a blog writer from bearing direct liability for something someone posts as a comment on their blog. Advocates of electronic freedom view any backtracking on Section 230 as a direct attack on freedom because a change in rules would potentially lead to a massive constriction of places to post material and the kinds of material hosting firms would even allow to appear. This isn't about extreme speech, often the sort of thing that gets brought up whenever free speech is invoked. Rather, it's about speech that contains any opinion whatsoever if a host could be sued for a user posting it. Yelp could be sued for a user's two-star review that says, meh. I mean, Yelp can be sued today, but it has a legitimate and easy defense in Section 230. Those who want limits on Section 230 point to Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and others who have abdicated some portion of their legal ability to moderate and remove content that doesn't meet their own platform rules as a reason that the government should impose regulations requiring more observance. It's a big mess, and thank you, Facebook, for providing more reason for those who want to crack down on the wide expression of free speech online. For those concerned about the integrity of votes cast in elections, there's a glimmer of good news. Today, big breath here, the Committee on U.S. House Administration Subcommittee on Elections okay, convened its first hearing in which representatives from the three major voting machine manufacturers were heard. Experts also testified about voting machine and election security and made recommendations about federal guidelines. Matt Blaze, the McDevitt Chair of Computer Science and Law at Georgetown University, and a well-known and well-regarded expert on electronic voting security, succinctly stated the current challenge. Let's give a listen. Uh, as you're well aware, the integrity of elections across the U.S. depends heavily on the integrity of computers and software systems that are embedded across our election infrastructure. Complex software lies at the heart not just of vote-casting equipment used at polling places, but also the information systems used by local authorities to manage everything from voter registration records to the tallying and reporting of election results to the creation of ballots and so forth. Um, unfortunately, much of this infrastructure has proven dangerously vulnerable to tampering and attack, and in some cases in ways that cannot be easily detected or corrected uh, after the fact. Uh, these vulnerabilities can create practical avenues for 
um, corrupt uh, candidates or foreign adversaries to do everything from cause large-scale disruption on election day to potentially uh, undetectably alter uh, election outcomes in some cases. The nearly three-hour session is already on YouTube if you'd like to watch or scan through it to see some company chiefs squirm and hear some frank talk about challenges. Here's the bit of good news. Liz Howard, counsel at the Democracy Program of the Brennan Center for Justice at the New York University School of Law, testified today at the hearing. She noted in her testimony and on Twitter this morning that all is not terrible. She tweeted that despite the lack of federal progress, quote, Election officials across the country have made significant progress in making our election systems more secure since 2016, end quote. That's good. That's much better than the previous election cycle and far better than, well, let's say 2000. And that's the election roundup for today. I am your host, Glenn Fleischman. I'll be in again tomorrow, January 10th. Then Chris Higgins will be here Monday, Thursday, and Friday of next week, finishing out his lovely time as host. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Election Podcast or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Election Ride Home. I am also on Twitter at Glenn F. That's G-L-E-N-N-F like Frank. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back with the latest summary tomorrow. Have a good evening. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.